Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Anderson does well to get across into Sheringham. Sheringham scores. I thought he'd lost it with his first touch, but recovered fast to beat Kevin Pressman. Anderton, Sheringham, Anderton, and he's through. Anderton, lovely return from Sheringham. Spurs are two up. Darren Anderton. It's Chris Bar Williams flying down that right hand side. Behind the Spurs defence again. In for Bright. Good touch. Oh, I'm whacked in by Calderwood, I think it is. Unless Bart Williams got a slight deflection. Nice touch by Mark Bright, but Calderwood's attempted block turned out to be the equaliser. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller. Jonathan Wilson is opposite me, of course. And today on the pod, we have Jack Pitbrook, football writer for The Athletic and host of The Athletic's Tottenham Hotspur podcast. Jack, lovely to have you here. Thanks for having me, Marcus. Yeah, not at all. Um, Now, today we're talking about uh, Tottenham Hotspur going to Hillsborough on the opening day of the uh, 1994-95 Premiership season. The game ended 4-3 to Aussie Ardealers' Tottenham Hotspur. Why, Jack, have you gone for this game? Well, it was a classic game in itself. Um, It's memorable most famously for the Jurgen Klinsmann dive celebration, Yes, which is still uh, very much... I think exists in the public mind a lot. You see it a lot on well for a generation league years. Yeah, for a generation of fans, you call it. Oh, he celebrated with a Klinsman. Yeah, it's like the most. I think it's probably the greatest celebration in the history of the Premier League, or at least the most memorable single celebration. It, yeah, it'd be up there. I can't think. Yeah. I can't think of any rivals to that. Yeah, 
Jonathan? Yeah, I mean... What about it, Daniel Sturridge's little dance? Yeah. Crouchy's robot? Uh, no, I mean, Crouchy's <laughs> robot was more for England, wasn't it's it? true, yeah. Yeah, you're probably right. Um, I, I, I sort of have quite mixed feelings about the celebration because I sort of hate that sort of slightly naff Germanic grin he gives it before doing the slide. But it, the slide itself is a, is a kind of... It's a brilliant, brilliantly conceived PR moment yeah. of owning the thing that everybody's been chucking at him. Yeah, yeah. completely. But there's, I, there's something about that California German business speak naffness. Hang on, this was way. years before any Californian business. He always had Californian in him. I think that's to his yeah. credit. <laughs> and I think we all, if, if, if any of us had it, you'd flaunt it, surely. Not me. Talking to a lad from Sunderland there. So it's like a classic... <laughs> Sorry, Jack. It's, like, you know, it's got this amazing... Like, one, it's a fantastic game. Yes. Like, it's it's back and forth, 4-3. Yeah, yeah. uh, it also has that, like, it buzzes with that sense of excitement because it's the first game of the season, but also the first game of an era. Like, Ardiles was there the previous season, mm. but in the summer of 1994, he bought Klinsman, Popescu, and, and Dumitrescu, mm. which was, like, unprecedented, yeah. really, to have three big, big stars from the 1994 World Cup all come to the Premier League. Well, Klinsman's a World Cup winner. Yeah, for a combined, I think, like eight, nine million pounds. Yeah, I mean, it's a kind of perfect mix, isn't it? Because Romania had been um, sort of the the most exciting of the outside. I mean, mean, arguably Bulgaria as well, but they've been a really exciting outsider in that World Cup. Mm. And they've been a team who really impressed people with the sort of the technical quality of their play. Beaten Argentina. Uh, Yeah, in in one of the greatest games. I mean, hopefully we'll do that game at some point. That is a brilliant game. Um, so to get two of the sort of uh, the, the 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 sort of trendy team plus this bona fide world star from Monaco mm. at a time when the Premier League didn't get bona fide world stars, mm. and even Sheffield Wednesday had their own Romanian Dan Petrescu, of course. Yeah, yeah. And I was looking through the um, so I wrote an article about this, which you can read on the Athletic, and I was looking through the other big summer signings into the Premier League from abroad that year. And they were like good players. Like I think Brian Roy was there. Uh, Stefan Schwartz was there. Uh, Philippe Albert mm. came in. But this was generally still at the era where it was unusual for English teams to sign top, top foreign players, especially ones who were like not necessarily... I mean, there were more, obviously, from Scandinavia, the low countries, the Republic of Ireland. But to get kind of big, big names from slightly further afield in Europe was still a really, really big deal. And that's part of a, the changing sort of profile of the English game. Yeah. That, you know, the reason that Scandinavians, Ireland, low country have come in is partly because the, you know, the, the, the capacity to speak English is obviously extremely yeah. high in those countries. And so, uh, you know, there's, there's a natural uh, synergy with, with, with English culture. But also their football is quite, is, is quite similar, particularly Scandinavia or Ireland coming to Britain. It's a it's a it's a shared football culture. We understand that four four two. You bring in Romanians. Well, there's got to be adaptation on both sides. And mm-hmm. so I think this is the beginning of the, the Premiership, Premier League. Yeah. Uh, Do you think it was the becoming, first? Go on, sorry. So you're just becoming this sort of um, this global melting pot. It's a very beginning to become this global melting pot where best practice is done here. Yeah. yeah. Do you think it was the first season of that where the Premiership? It was called the Premiership back then, of course. Do you think it was the first season where it began to really look like? Yeah, I what do. We know. I do, and, and I think these three signings are, are, are you know very sort of mm-hmm. emblematic of that: the big star plus the exciting outsiders. Because you can't forget what Tottenham were doing then with these signings. I mean, it's one... easy to forget how good a player Popescu was. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he ended up not playing in this game for yeah. Wednesday, but yeah, you know, Popescu 
very nearly went to to Barcelona. Yeah, so Cruyff tried to get Popescu that summer to replace Koeman. And when I was doing the research for this article, I spoke to a lot of the guys who played in this team. So I spoke to um, uh, Mabber, Anderton, uh, Sheringham, Barmby. And what they all said, what, like, so some of them weren't that keen on, so Sheringham had a go at Dimitrescu, said mm-hmm. that he didn't. Um, was Sol Campbell not available for coming? Uh, I actually couldn't get hold of him. So yeah. He, okay. he, like, he didn't track back enough. And that, you know, and we, we can come on to that because that was one of the reasons why it didn't work. Yeah. But they all spoke so positively about Popescu. They said, like, what a player he was. He was fantastic. But certainly, I think Jonathan's absolutely right that, like, the premier, the Premiership in 1994 95, it was. It couldn't really absorb players of this quality, really. Mm-hmm. It was just, it was so, like, the cultural incongruity of having very, very, very technical, very clever, mm-hmm. maybe not so physical players in it didn't quite work. Yeah, because I think of Chelsea being one of the teams, you know, with Rude Hullett and making those big signings. But one can forget Spurs with those, with, with, with those players coming in. This, this was the first season I ever did fantasy football. Oh, wow. I remember, and of course, it wasn't online back then, so you'd sort of fill it in and put in, in these players like Ili Dimitrescu. My goodness, you know, it was it yeah. really felt well, I mean, foreign, it, but in, in a very exciting it's a really, way. You know, in a sense, Sheffield Wednesday team is, is more sort of um, telling of that. You look at that side, and there are two foreigners. So you've got John Sheridan, who's Irish, mm-hmm. and you've got Petrescu. Yeah. And this is, what, August 1994. By Boxing Day 1999, Chelsea are fielding a team of entirely foreign players. Yeah. Uh, it didn't take long for that to, to happen. And even the Tottenham side... Uh, there are what one, two in this particular game because Popescu doesn't play. There are only Zony Klinsman and Dimitrescu. The rest mm-hmm. are all are all British. Yeah, um, and Spurs they did have a very young Sol Campbell at the back, as, as we've mentioned, and Teddy Sheringham at the top, and both of them would go on and achieve amazing things. Quite quite frankly, um, but what was I mean, they, they enjoyed playing under our dealers, didn't they, in, in the short time? Sheringham spoke quite highly yeah, in the piece so the, that you wrote. The players loved playing for Aussie because he was so attacking. Like yeah. he, was, he would encourage them to get on the ball, dominate possession, everybody go forward, both full-backs, almost everyone in midfield except mm. for the holder. So they'd really be defending only with the two centre-backs and the one holding midfielder. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, was so, it, was kind of, it was so unusual, really, to have this... Mm-hmm. This very expressive, uh, very attacking, very risky f- style of play, which Ardiles said that he'd learnt playing for Minotti for the Argentina national team, and he was keen in '78. Yeah, and he was keen to recreate it in English football. And so for the players, it was a, it was like something from another world. It was so, and it was so refreshing to them, and that's why they loved it so much. Even though we know, you know, we can say now that it was in fact so attacking that it left them open to the back and that's why the results were bad and he was eventually sacked. Well, I don't think that was known even at the time. This was his fourth club in English football. Yeah. So I'd seen him quite, you know, he was Newcastle manager in 91-2 at a time when I would go to, I mean, I'd go to every Sunderland home game, I'd go to maybe half a dozen Newcastle home games a season. And I remember them, um, a hilarious game when they were really good, went 3-0 up against Charlton and ended up losing 4-3 to I think I'm right in saying a Kevin Lisby hat trick, followed by a a sensational own goal from Liam O'Brien, and Lisby would have been playing back then. Was it Lisby? Ah, uh, a, a a one of those mediocre Charlton forwards okay. got a hat trick. Um, but yeah, a, a last minute diving headed own goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, yeah, obviously as a Sunderland fan being there, I could not stop laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it was never boring under our dealers. No, was, but it's so, always so, guaranteed so that's to be sort of, goals. I mean, yeah, it, he took it up a, a, a level this season, 
But that sort of uh, incredibly cavalier approach mm-hmm. had always been characteristic of him. Yeah. And so what was his, uh, we can't ignore his relationship with Alan Sugar, who's obviously partnering with the cash to bring in some of these players. Yeah. So Sugar, like the big thing at Tottenham in the sort of early early to mid 90s was Sugar's war with, with Venables. Yes. Uh, Sugar eventually won this and Venables was replaced as manager in 1993 with our then Spurs were hit with this big punishment by the FA for illegal payments, which I think had actually preceded Alan Sugar. Um, it was initially, I think, a huge fine, expulsion from the FA Cup, and twelve point deduction. That's a serious punishment. Yeah. yeah. And then they appealed against it, and it got reduced to six points. Yeah. And they but got it, we're back in the FA Cup. Yeah, but it's it's yeah. still a kind of. Uh, yeah, but it was like six a, is a lot. It's unheard yeah, of nowadays, really, especially yeah. for the top flight side. Yeah, I mean, you, I mean, you get the huge point deductions for going into the receivership, but yeah, but yeah, it's uh, it would be kind of unimaginable for a big club to be hit with something like that now because yeah. the big clubs are so powerful. But yeah. um, so this this was obviously a huge blow to Spurs, and Sugar was smart enough to realise that he needed to kind of re-engage and re-energise the fans a bit. So he did this first with the appointment of Ardiles in 1993. And then Ardiles had his first season working with this kind of slightly more conventional Tottenham squad. And then in the summer of 1994, Sugar backed Ardiles with this big, glamorous spending spree. So it was really like the construction of this team, which is really, really interesting. It wasn't done as a kind of experiment in like the Cosmo, you know, can we make the Premier League more cosmopolitan? It was a, it was a kind of PR exercise by Sugar mm-hmm. to, re, to re-engage Tottenham fans with some kind of sexy people from abroad. And which, I guess that sort of was part of the history of the Tottenham. Yes. That you know, when our dealers had arrived as as a player, that that had been yeah. the same the same logic when he he'd arrived after you know. And again, when he arrived in seventy eight with with uh, Ricky Veer, uh, we called a Bisha to our Argentinian <laughs> listeners. Um, it, it, they they'd you know, gone to I mean in that case the World Cup winners, but a glamorous team from a World Cup picked up two of their stars mm. in just the same way they they they'd picked up three of the World Cup stars this summer. So where did Tottenham sit? In in that in the mid nineties, because they won the FA Cup in ninety one against Clough's Forest. Mm. Um, Arsenal had won a couple of trophies, and they often, there's the comparison there. I mean, Arsenal were not in brilliant shakes. Wenger hadn't taken over just yet, but Spurs, because people may think of Spurs now, but for 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 many years they were sort of a middling to fair. Well, that's side. that's what they were. They were a middling team with mm. obvious uh, pretensions and potential. Uh, but they, I mean, they're definitely the. Uh, second side in London, I guess they were better than Chelsea at the time. But mm-hmm. you know, Arsenal had just won the Cup Winners' Cup the, the previous season, well, so there's no question that uh, although the, the sort of peak of George Graham's Arsenal was past, Arsenal was still the the kings of London. And in '93, where they won what League Cup and FA Cup, yeah, that's right, beating yeah. Sheffield Wednesday yeah. Yeah, in both finals. And they, they also had Spurs, even though they hadn't really played that way for a while. Spurs fans still had this expectation for entertainment, mm-hmm. which is still you know, which is still very much with us today. And that is why this was so exciting for them because they thought that they had. Yeah, I mean, they'd had the the, the great team of the David Pleat team of the uh, um, of the sort of mid eighties, eighty seven, I guess was was their peak, which you know, we talked mm-hmm. about last month with with John Cross. They're yeah, talking about the game when they lost to Arsenal in the Littlewood Cup semi final replay. Mm-hmm. Um, so there'd been a definite decline since then, and I think maybe the Venables thing. There'd been high hopes after '91, yeah. and the Venables might be able to to inspire them. And then, obviously, his war with Sugar meant that that didn't didn't come to fruition. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, it was obvious they were a team with potential, but they were also one of those teams who never achieved it. Yeah, very true. All right, let's have a quick break, and after which we'll uh, talk about the match itself. See you in a moment, everybody. Another nice touch by Sheringham. Away goes Barmby. He's got Klinsman on his left. It's still Nick Barmby with the goal that puts Spurs back in the lead. 3-2. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Anderson, a good cross for Klinsmann. Jürgen Klinsmann, a great header. And the German star opens his account with a dive. Welcome back to Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard. Right then, so it was the first game of the season. It's an always always an exciting time, but especially for those Spurs fans uh, with, with those new signings in there. A lot of fans went up to, to Sheffield to see this game, even just wanting to get a glimpse of what Jürgen Klinsmann would look like in a Tottenham shirt. Yeah, there was so much... Um... There's like a sort of myth going on, I don't know if it's a myth, but Spurs fans always talk about this, about how it was impossible to drive up mm. to Sheffield because the motorways were clogged with Tottenham fans. And there was such a, uh, it's it's kind of difficult now, looking back now to think of a comparison. Maybe Rubinho at City, but in terms of like the, in terms of the, uh, the glamour and the sort of shock at seeing this kind of world superstar in the shirt. I think Rude Hullet at Chelsea. Might yeah, be maybe. Like there were stories of, even the preseason friendlies, that there was a famous one at Vicarage Road, which I think might have been the first time that Clinton played for Tottenham in any <laughs> yeah. capacity, and like the swarms of people there, it was like the Sermon uh, on the Mount. Yeah. Like it was, uh, and so people were desperate, absolutely desperate, to go and watch Jurgen Klinsmann play for Tottenham. And you can't underestimate what a good player Klinsmann was, right? Because I mean, there's so many great forwards over the years, but Klinsmann was superb. You know, World Cup winner, as, as we say. But Jonathan, he had everything in his locker, didn't he? Oh, brilliant footballer. And as a, yeah, as a forward, I mean, do you think I, underrated as history's gone on? Uh, it's such a winning maybe. mentality. 
He yeah, could score I, goals, create goals, all types of goals. Yeah, I mean, I, I think to an extent he suffers by comparison with Van Basten, who was mm-hmm. a similar type of player in being complete, but Van Basten was was better. Right. Uh, but Klinsmann was still a magnificent footballer. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that Germany team of 1990, he's, you know, the, the, the best attacking player in that side. You know, he's... Mm-hmm. But, he's, yeah, he could score from outside the box. He could score headers. He, you know, he's good on the ball. Mm-hmm. He's good at drawing fouls. Very good, yeah, <laughs> you could say. But, but that's why, you know, putting Tottenham in the context of where they were for him to go there. Because, I mean, his Monaco side, I think, you know, I remember them in the semi-final of the Champions League getting beaten by, um, would it have been Capello's Milan, you know. Mm. Yeah, that's that's the kind of level he was playing at to then go to this sort of middle Well, I think, I think the thing with that Monaco side though, is uh, because they got done by the match-fixing, uh, by Tappy's mm-hmm. match-fixing, um, there was a lot of disillusionment around Monaco then. And you sort of see that seems sort of breaks up pretty quickly in the early 90s. And I think it was just a sense of... Mm-hmm. Sugar, sorry, chance. What, that's why Wenger went to Japan. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Because yeah, he, was, yeah. he was so... So disillusioned yeah. with French football that... Um, yeah. Yeah, what, 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 yeah, and you understand why. You know, we can have a brilliant team. We can do everything to get to the top of the table, and they'll still stiff us. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Very why? True. Why would you stay behind? Yeah, mm. I, I, I think it's an understandable. Mm. True enough. Uh, but it's also, I, th- I think, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm older than both of you, and so I'm going to say this with my old man hat on. Uh-huh. Th- this is the days before football is on TV live. On a really regular basis. Yeah. Is it, I mean, if you got Sky, it's a game a week. Yeah, yeah. So going to see somebody in the flesh yeah. was still what you did. That's how you saw a big mm-hmm. player, was you, you you got on the bus and you went. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that sort of mentality doesn't really exist anymore. We're so used to everything mm-hmm. being televised that, um, I mean, obviously live events are still a huge thing, but if you wanted to see Klinsman, you pretty much had to go and see yeah. him. Mm-hmm. And him playing up front with Teddy Sheringham was quite a nice duo. Yeah. Sheringham was very important to that team. Yeah, and Sheringham and Klinsman love playing with each other. Yeah. Um, I spoke to Sheringham. I mean, they're perfectly sort of complimentary yeah. styles, uh-huh. aren't they? I spoke to Sheringham for this story, and he was so, so positive about Klinsman, about his intelligence and his work rate. And a lot of people talk about how he was with the young players, and he would kind of set an example. Because this is very much, you know, it, there's, a lot, there's a lot of similarities between this particular story and the story of Wenger's arrival at Arsenal. And one of those, one of those similarities is the contrast between the kind of pre-existing English culture of yeah, we'll train for a bit, then we'll go for ten pints, and um, and the kind of professionalism of the foreign players who've arrived who don't really train train that way. And so at Tottenham, you know, they had a kind of conventional mm-hmm. drinking culture of English of English players, and then Klinsman showed up, and it was this kind of incredibly rigorous approach to training. You know, very inclusive of the younger players mm-hmm. as well, but uh, he would spend hours out on the out on the pitch I think the training with Mill Hill then kind of working on his game and you know big bag of balls put every single one in the top corner that mm. sort of thing Yeah, in a way that was like slightly unfamiliar then well another one of these players that, that people couldn't believe they saw him in their club show it would have been Ravenelli at Middlesbrough Yeah, and he said that when he joined Middlesbrough I mean John you probably know more that he had a sort of, you know, fax, yes, fax, uh, back to Juventus to get them to send him sort of drills and whatnot so he could do in the afternoon because he couldn't believe that all the, the the local sort of English players and whatnot would train for a couple of hours or whatever in the morning, as you say. Some go on the pace or, or whatever. Yeah, I mean, that, that signing is, I think, even more extraordinary than this. I mean, Tottenham were at least a glamorous club in yeah. London. For them to get him and Janino and Emerson <laughs> was, I mean, I'm was sure a we'll, very curious business. Might, we we um, may well... Um, but I mean, yeah, but that fits into what we were saying about the uh, rapid interna- internationalisation of the Premier League yeah. Premiership. 
Um, Which was so vile for the when, development. When a really. team like Middlesbrough, yeah. with all due respect to what was a very good Middlesbrough team in those days, yeah, yeah. Uh, that they can get <laughs> three players of that stature. One have just won the Champions League as well. Yeah, and Janino, who'd been brilliant in mm. you know, when when Brazil had last been to Wembley, you know, it, 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 the the culture changed very very quickly. Yeah, indeed. But Spurs had some some decent English players as well. Even Darren Anderson, Nick Barnby, very young Sol Campbell, of course. Uh, stalwart Gary Mab uh, among them. Um, and in, it, so this game against Sheffield Wednesday, against Trevor Francis, uh, Sheffield Wednesday, who weren't a bad side, they'd finished seventh the previous season and had some some decent players in there. Our dealers lines up. Um, with that attack information, and, and and one of the commentators immediately says just before the game, Spurs playing with you know, mentions the um, the front five Tottenham are playing, and I and I remember this. Um, people were just like almost ridiculing Spurs or Ardiles, going what what an, what five up front, as if it was like an, a, a throwback to the old formations from a bygone era of two three five, but that's not quite how it was. Yeah, so I've spoken to Steve Perryman about this, who was the assistant. For our dealers, and I think the way they how they saw it was more of a sort of four four two diamond. Yeah. So it kind of, it, I mean, it, he didn't have actually, he didn't actually have all the players in place for this game, but basically a four four two diamond in which they'd have Sheringham and Klinsman as the front two, which is the, you know, like you said, a fantastic front two, um, and then generally, I think Nicky Barmby as the number ten, a decent player himself. Yeah, with Anderton, it be, kind of became Anderton and Dimitrescu either side. And then initially Calderwood, and then eventually Popescu holding, but with both fullbacks going on, so it wasn't quite a two. It wasn't quite like a two-three-five. Well, there was a, a joke in a joke going around the club, which is that they had. I think I can probably say this on here: the famous five and the shit six. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I love the thought of uh, Popescu or Calderwood. That's your choice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder, you know, the man for the moment. But uh, yeah, so uh, and it's a very young Sol Campbell. Uh, at the back, and he started. Uh, who was partnering him in the centre? Uh, Nethercott in this Nethercott game. Nethercott in that, yeah, yeah. Um, so the game gets underway, and on 19 minutes, Teddy Sheringham, I suppose it's a mistake really at the back from from Sheffield Wednesday, and he kind of controls the Well, ball. Sheffield Wednesday's been a bit of a funny team because they, they've got three fullbacks in there as well. Mm. And I think it's, I, 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 to be honest, the numbers are very hard to see on the Sheffield Wednesday shirts. They are. So. If Peter Atherton is listening to this and it wasn't his mistake, I apologise to him. But I, I think he gets caught. It's him who gets caught under the ball. Uh-huh. And um, Sheringham's got hours to take the ball down. It's a great yeah. first touch. A lovely finish. But it doesn't really need to be. His second touch is a bit rubbish, but it doesn't really matter. Mm. And then he sort of, yeah, it's a weird finish because he's got loads of times. He ends up just sort of stabbing it with the outside of his right foot into mm. the bottom corner. Effective, though. Yeah. Oh, I mean, it's a. It's a very good goal. It's a, it's a great cross from Anderson and the first and third touches are excellent. The second one, yeah, eh, maybe not quite. <laughs> but the build-up to Spurs' second goal, which comes only about sort of 10, 11 minutes later, which which Anderson finishes, is, is quite a nice slick move, if yeah. I remember correctly. And that's like sharing... And this would have been the first time that Sheringham and Clinton played together. Yeah. And yet, even in their combination for, for that Anderson goal, that, which, which puts Spurs 2-0 up, you can see that they just have that like... You know when you... You know when two players who haven't really played together that much have that like instinctive understanding because yeah. they're both clever players, mm-hmm. and that's always there's always that when you're a fan, the first game of the season, you always want to see how your new heroes are going to kind of gel straight into the team, and so to see Klinsman like instantly have that rapport with with Sheringham up front was obviously was a sign that wow, this could actually work out. Mm. I have to confess that I I didn't really. You know, as as a, as a teenage boy, I didn't really rate Sheringham until probably like Euro '96, which is, is to my detriment, really. 
Because he, he could, for me, you know. But he, he changed the player. I mean, when he was at Millwall and then his one season, or one season plus one game at Forest. Yeah. He was much more of a goal scorer. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think he obviously always had that intelligence, but he you know, he he got deeper as he as he got older and, and you know became more of a schemer than the finisher. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, but if you think about the forwards that were the English forwards that were knocking around the Premiership, then you know, sort of Fowlers and Coles, Shearers, Ferdinands, you know, they, right? Yeah, right as well. You know, there, there was there was so many, um, and Sheringham was a little bit different to them, and he wasn't so much as a, as a goal machine. Um, but when you look back at Sheringham with his touches and the intelligence that he had, it was, it was quite glorious. Um, anyway, uh, so the, at halftime it was 2-0 uh, to Tottenham Hotspur. So all's going very well in, in in the camp, all's going to plan. And then into the second half, Dan Petrescu pulls one back for Sheffield Wednesday on, on 54 minutes. You, you'd question the defending there. You would question the it's defending. Chris Bart-Williams corners half cleared to John yes. Sheridan who follows it back in and sort of just... So then suddenly Petrescu's clean uh-huh. through, which makes no sense. And but. It, possibly the first question uh, of a long line of questions <laughs> of that Tottenham Hotspur defence <laughs> under our dealers. Campbell, only out to Sheridan. Oh, two, Petrescu! Well taken goal, I'm not sure whether Sheridan's pass to him was a fluke or intentional. Dan Petrescu with a lot of room, it's 2-1. So yeah, six minutes later, yeah. one of the great own goals. yes. Uh, Colin Collarwood smashing it into his own neck. It's an absolute beauty. Uh, I mean, yeah, Chris Bart Williams just cut in from the right and he's sort of in trying to challenge him. He ends up slamming it into the roof of his own net. <laughs> it's an absolute beauty. It's a very 90s own goal. Yeah. You don't get too many of them nowadays, I think, which is which is, which is is sad to see, quite frankly. Um, but yeah, and then uh, is it Nick Barmby who, who races through? Yeah, so yeah Sh- Sheringham well. plays through Barmby. Uh, Barmby, who... Probably one of the one of the quicker, more energetic players in that mm. Spurs team charges through and just smashes it past Kevin Pressman for three two. Mm. But it's, a, it's yeah, it's a lovely pass from Sheringham as well. I mean, you start you start to see. I think the the second goal particularly, but this one as well. You sort of see how those components of that. I mean, front five is a misleading term, but it's not a totally inaccurate term, right? You can see how that that sort of fits together and how how yeah the how that might work. And they were very dependent on. You know the intelligence of of sharing them in slightly deeper positions, and then Dimitrescu and Barnby mm-hmm. charge forward into the box. Yeah, yeah well, who was it who said that the the main tactical instruction they got was when Teddy gets it, just bomb forward. Uh, I think I think sh- I think Sheringham himself might have told me that, or maybe Mabbott. But right. yeah, that was very much that was very much the approach. Sheringham pulls off, <laughs> gets the ball, and then everyone, as in um, you got then you got Klinsman, Dimitrescu, Barnby, uh, the fullbacks, and who might have been. Generally, what Austin and Edinburgh it was usually for this team. Mm-hmm. Basically, everybody gets forward and then sharing and will sort it out. Glorious. Uh, all these goals going in, but Mr. Klinsman hasn't got one himself yet, but that would be rectified on the 82nd minute when he scored his first goal in English football or, you know, in, in, in the main competition. And uh, the ball comes in and it's a lovely header. Yeah, a great cross from Anderson and a great header. Yeah. I mean, it's the way he kind of, he slightly hangs in the air and stoops his neck a bit. Neck muscles, yeah. Bang. It's a properly sort of. He hasn't just run onto the cross. He sort of, yeah. Yeah, he's used all his neck muscles to, you know, to get the power and get the direction on it. Mm-hmm. And that's the moment, of course, where he wields away and, and does the famous Klinsman dive celebration to have a little answer back to all his critics who, who, let's be honest, were pretty xenophobic towards him when he came yeah. to the country. I mean, it was. It's sort of really interesting, kind of looking back at this. Quite how disgraceful a lot of the anti-German. Oh yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, well, you is. can forget in Euro 96 when England drew Germany in the semi-final. I can remember that vividly. Yeah, the, the mirror's front page, yeah. Achtung, surrender. All that yeah. bollocks. And then, but Klinsman himself is getting, this is, international tournament is, I mean, obviously that's a disgrace anyway, but an international tournament is one thing. It, it's a bit more, I mean, obviously, yeah, it's a disgrace, but I understand where it's come from. Yeah. Whereas there's sort of just baseline xenophobia here I, I, I found quite disturbing if you, think, of... yeah, if you think that xenophobia and sanctimony about diving are bad now yeah. they were really, really oh. bad in 1994 like, yeah. I was going th- so I spent a f- I spent a day at the British Library mm-hmm. a few months ago going back through all the papers from back then and like there were so many references to the Second World War Yeah, I couldn't believe it there was one one game after this where Spurs won like the headline was hair raid warning <sighs> there was uh, I think a th- report in the sun about this particular game made reference to the fact that uh, Sink the Bismarck was on Channel 4 mm. that same day. Like the, It's so, like, the obsession with the Second World War is everywhere mm-hmm. and the Clint, people just cannot forgive Klinsmann for simply being German. At one point I found mm. the um, uh, a headline in the Daily Express which referred to Spurs Ethnic Army. Blimey. I mean, the language referring to the Romanians or the language like the the yeah the casual xenophobia Bloody and the yeah. language used about people who are not English and there's so much like foreign invasion is there everywhere like yeah. um is is really remarkable like it does it's it's I guess it's the flip side of how exotic this was like this had never happened before people were really surprised about it they didn't really know how to take it on board and it produ- and so it produced mountains of mm-hmm. awful xenophobia and racism. But wasn't there that line from Alan, or a line Alan Sugar said had been used of him that uh, yeah, the Romanians are used to having a mad dictator in control so they'll yeah. be fine with him. Yeah, so oh, that's a that's... line in Alan Sugar's in Alan Sugar's autobiography he says that somebody wrote that. He says that that is in one of the tabloids yeah. when he signed Popescu and Dimitrescu. I went back through all the tabloids and I couldn't find any such sentence. Okay, But that's not, I mean, that's not to say it wasn't said. But you're right, it is very dispiriting because as a football fan and as a teenager, when I was seeing all that um, happen, you just think, oh, wow, this is, this is incredible. And you you have those memories. But when you start to kind of really go through it all, you think, blimey, it was... You, you would think that people would be opening, uh, welcoming with open arms a World Cup winner who, as you say, is one of a number of key players who helped um, develop the English game. Really, uh, you, you you know, you can't underestimate that too much, and yet uh, he's getting a barrage of a load of nonsense. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it doesn't doesn't condone it in any way. Uh, I think Klinsman is a particular case because his diving had so offended people mm-hmm. in in the when the World Cup in nineteen ninety, particularly. I, th- I think in the in the Euros in eighty eight. So there is a there is a sort of slightly more legitimate aspect of a criticism of Klinsman. Yeah, but but but, but then the language it's couched in. Yeah, and also, it, it's entirely legitimate for people to go, I'm a bit concerned about the way he's dived. Oh I get you know, that. What's well, going to happen if he does that? If he's a diver, I understand. He was a diver, there's no two ways about that. Uh, and and that was a sh- that was a shame that 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 is part of how you remember Klinsman being a phenomenal player. But all the stuff that you're saying here, Jack, with written in the newspaper. Yeah, and some yeah, I do think that I mean I think the diving stuff did go a bit overboard. Like he was described in the Sun as one of the most notorious cheats in European football, <laughs> and sometimes, and sometimes the diving. I mean, that, yeah, that, that's that's yeah, you know, that's classic tabloid yeah. sanctimony. 
Uh, yeah. It is overboard, but like, you know, and it is what the tabloids yeah. do. So. Sometimes the diving stuff and the German stuff would come mm. together, mm. and he was described as a sugar ah, dive bomber. Oh right, yeah. At, at points. <laughs> well, let's uh, well let's go back to, to Tottenham and our dealers themselves. So, so they won this game four three. Um, and the, should, at the very well, end, a little yeah, mention of David Hurst scoring a, yeah, a beautiful brilliant volley from David Hurst, <laughs> and then Klinsman goes off and being knocked unconscious. Yeah, oh yes, like, of course. He yeah. Kind of goes up for a header with Des Walker. Yeah, I think he got knocked out and had to be carried off. Proper British. Steel. <laughs> I was going to say, what an introduction to the game. Um, he certainly didn't dive there. We, no. we can all agree. So Spurs win the game four-three, and they have a very good start to the season. They won what three out of four, something like that. You know, they, they're going very well. They're scoring a lot of goals. And he, yeah, and Klinsman. So uh, four days after that, uh, Klinsman's first game at White Hart Lane, he scores a overhead kick, beauty, which is the first. Yeah, you know, obviously the first time he's played in front of the home crowd. Would have been the first time that most people in that stadium have ever seen him in the flesh. And he scores the kind of the goal that only someone who's won the World Cup and the UEFA Cup and you've spent two million pounds on would score. And it was and that was a real moment of like, wow, this guy is this guy's for real. And also it was soon after that that people st- started talking about whether Spurs could win the title. They went on to they beat Ipswich Town three one with a brilliant performance, which seemed like all the kind of uh, the combination of the Ardiles approach and the individual quality of the signings came together. And after that game, and only th- what Thing, three or four games into the season, people genuinely talked about Spurs as title contenders. Mm. I mean, it shows you the level that they were playing at in those first sort of handful of games. In, well, I think it also you know, it shows a difference to the modern world that in those days you could sign three players and that could turn you from being a, you know, essentially a mid-table team into title challenges because the, the elite teams weren't as elite. Yeah, and it's funny, reading your piece about this team, Jack, I, I just maybe hadn't been aware. I knew that they used to bomb forward and attack, but our dealers was almost a sort of slightly figure of, he was a bit of a figure of fun and a bit of a jokey figure um, and yet when you look back at it you know the, the, there was a moment there when actually Spurs looked like that they could maybe win the title or they, they, they were doing something because it didn't last very long yeah so, so it didn't take it didn't take long for them to start losing games not just losing games but losing games really badly mm. they would concede huge amounts of goals they teams would teams realised that they were so attacking everybody would attack except for three players three, or three, three outfield players they were very, very easy to, to score against. They, you know, they wouldn't press properly. Uh, Dumitrescu didn't do any defending whatsoever. Clint, there was one point where Klinsman, I think they lost three one to Leicester, I think at home, and Klinsman like hammered his teammates in an interview afterwards. Said we're not aggressive enough. If we're going to play this way, we've got to press and mm-hmm. defend from the front, which they did. They just didn't do. And Ardiles is, Ardiles had that kind of that classic thing of a very attacking manager, which is if it's not working. We've got to do plan. We've just got to do plan A better. There yeah. wasn't a plan B, yeah. and you can see this with. But it's an inter- it's an interesting thing that he even got the job because he obviously done very well at Swindon when I, I think he was technically still a player manager and he actually played a couple of games over two seasons. And, and of course, they they should have been promoted in 1990 uh, when they beat Sunderland in the playoff final and then end up not going up because of the the illegal payments, which had happened on Liam McCarvey's watch. It wasn't anything to do with our dealers. Uh, and he had a you know, he had a good reputation. That Swindon team played good football, and, and you know they were they were an attractive side to watch, and they seemed relatively well balanced. But then let's not forget he lost his job at Newcastle, and was replaced by the more conservative Kevin Keegan. He <laughs> <laughs> uh, was, was an act of retrenchment for Newcastle to appoint Kevin Keegan. Uh, we need to tighten up. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then it was. I, I guess he'd done okay at West Brom, but I don't. I don't think he sort of done anything extraordinary at West Brom. 
So it was a big job for him to get, and it's it's obviously the you know it's the Solskjaer or Lampard principle of bringing the yeah the the, the crowd favor from the past. But he's quite an unusual crowd favor to bring in. Mm. In that you talk, you mentioned being a figure of fun. One of the reasons for that is Ozzy's going to Wembley, and the sort of everybody sort of laughs at his accent in Tottenham. Yeah, which again to modern ears it's a little bit uncomfortable. It is, yeah. Uh, and he, I guess he went along with it and was fine with it, but, uh, it's not, I, I suppose to be fair to him, you know, you talk to David Pleat, you know, he, you know, he talks about how valuable Adela's late period Adela's was in sitting in front of the back four when he, when, you know, when he's playing as a much deeper line player and his intelligence to sort of reading the game. So he obviously did have that, but there was this sort of, yeah, he was in the classic school of, of British perceptions of, of foreign people. Yeah. yeah. He's, He's an officer Crabtree. He's an Inspector Clouseau figure. Yeah, look at him being slightly different to us and speaking English in a funny way. Mm. Actually, obviously, Crabtree is English. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know. He was, yeah, I mean, was it ten games he had? No. So he was basically they went to they lost five two at Main Road. Yeah. Um, which was actually my first ever Manchester City game. Oh. So an important day in my life. And then they lost three nil at Notts County in the Coca Cola Cup. And then he was sacked. So he had 12 league games that season. Okay. 1-5, lost 1-5, five. lost 5, scored 21, conceded 24. So it was quite a... Mixed bag. Yeah. The like, fans had turned on that not to count again, they? had. They? I think they were, they were singing for him to be sacked. Yeah, I mean, I, I sort of remember that from that, that Newcastle-Charlton game. The fans had turned that the kind of the... You sort of think a kind of, you know, a, a, a sort of charismatic, sort of cuddly figure like that. Fans don't turn on but. Yeah, they do. Yeah. Well, it's the results that matter. Yeah, but and so, sh- I, I don't know, I still think... Do you feel it was too soon? I, maybe, maybe. Because the, the piece you wrote, you, there's an element of, ah, it's just a shame that it didn't... Well, obviously it's a shame it didn't work out, but also might he have been able to turn it around. Yeah, I, I think I think it was quite hasty. I think Sugar buckled as soon as the fans turned, and Sugar could have... Sugar could have given him another ten games. He could have given him. He could have yeah, given but I mean, the rest of the he, he could have done. But on the other hand, if you've invested yeah. what seven million quid mm. near enough There's on a lot three of money players, back then. and you're thinking, shit, we got you know, Klinsman. We can't yeah. waste this. And you could imagine sort of Klinsman, however professional he may be in training or whatever, you can imagine a big star like that thinking. This guy's a bit of a joke. Right. I've, got, I've got to move to a club where they actually can defend. But, but the other way of looking at it is, if you spend eight million pounds on three exciting players, you should conti- you should pursue having a manager who can get the best, who can play a style of play that they might want to play, rather than just going back to Jerry Francis. But, I mean, yeah, okay, that's that's also true. Mm. But you know, when Jerry Francis is, is an option, can you afford to <laughs> let it slip back? <laughs> well, they finished seventh in the league, Spurs. They would end up finishing seventh, yeah. and then semi-finals of the FA Cup. And Klinsman didn't hang around for very long, of course, much to the uh, annoyance of of Alan Sugar. Yeah, so I think Klinsman had a clause in his contract which said that he could go after a season. I think if a certain fee was met or if a certain type of club came in. And Sugar, even though this clause was in his contract, Sugar thought it was incredibly ungentlemanly for Klinsman to actually exercise this clause. Uh, and this prompted the kind of rant about uh, Carlos Kickerball. Mm. Um, and Sugar went public and criticised Klinsman. Basically, after Klinsman had said, oh yeah, I, I am going to Bayern Munich, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, and But he got, Klinsman won, like he got his way and he went to Bayern. Yeah, but I mean, but how in the piece you you talk about the maybe the importance of this side, how they were playing this kind of attacking style of play, which we now see a little bit more. Um, it's, it's more common in the Premier League, perhaps. Yeah, it was. Would you 
dare to use the word pioneering? Yeah, I would. I do. I, I do think they were pioneers. I think, like as Jonathan said earlier, the, the the biggest the biggest thread I think in the history of the Premier League is cosmopolitanism. Mm-hmm. It's changing from a league which was English to a league which was international but played in England, and that refers to players, owners, tactics, everything. And this was the first time, really, we saw foreign players, foreign tactics. Um, tried in English football, and of course, and of course, it didn't work, and probably it was never going to work. But if maybe if they hadn't tried it, then who knows whether or not Chelsea would have tried it, Arsenal would have tried it, and of course, it was only two years after this that Wenger came in, and you know, foreign tactics, foreign players it was incredibly successful. But the, I think the difference is that Wenger had a really, really good foundation to build on. Like as everybody always says, he had this kind of English back five. And that meant that it was slightly easier for him to integrate the foreign players and the more attacking football, mm-hmm. whereas Spurs didn't really have the quality of defence. And that meant there was like there was no foundation mm. to all the attacking that they were doing. Yeah, absolutely. Jack, it's been a pleasure talking to you uh, about that game and about that uh, Aussie Ardealy Spurs team. Because again, I just, yeah, it can, it can slip the memory, this stuff. So... Um, excellent stuff uh, thank you very much for uh, listening to uh, Greatest Games on Football Ramble Daily in association with the Blizzard everybody thank you Jonathan a pleasure as always um, Jack always great to see you uh, for more stories like this go to theblizzard.co.uk we shall be back next week see you then Mark Williams again in for Taylor that's a good header well that's a great volley by David Hurst terrific volley And that could put Wednesday back in the game at 4-3. Nice support header. Terrific volley by Hurst. This was a Stakhanov production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.